0: Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Jonathan Levine, a writer, producer, and director whose films include All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, 50-50, Warm Bodies, The Night Before, and Long Shot. He also directed all eight episodes of Nine Perfect Strangers, an adaptation of Leanne Moriarty's novel starring Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, Michael Shannon, Luke Evans, Grace Van Patten, Regina Hall, Bobby Cannavale, and half a dozen other very gifted performers that premieres on Hulu tomorrow, Wednesday, August 18th. In Canada, it drops Friday on Amazon Prime Video. Jonathan picked Billy Madison the 1995 comedy that brought Adam Sandler from Saturday Night Live to the big screen, building a feature film around the aggressive, overgrown kid persona Sandler could pull out at a moment's notice. Here, he's the idiot son of a hotel magnate, and the only way he can take over his dad's company is by successfully repeating grades 1 through 12 in a matter of months. It's really just an excuse for foolishness and yelling. A lot of yelling. But Sandler, his pal and co-writer Tim Herlihy and director Tamara Davis, hit on an aesthetic that Sandler would keep coming back to for literally decades. And maybe it's not as dumb as we all thought it was. This is someone else's movie.
1: Billy Madison, for me, is a movie that I, I think when I first saw it, I must have been, I was working in a video store, um, so it reminded me of this time in my life. It's, it also sort of was one of the first ways in which I feel like I was honing my comedic palettes because I think you know I always loved Adam Sandler going going back to her, I think it was Remote Control or when he would do I think it was MTV half hour comedy hour and stuff like that and I just like he had this very kind of east coast you know as a new yorker I just so, some something about him appealed to me so much and then um you know then there was this this and I loved watching SNL from the moment i was you know old enough to stay up late Mm -hmm. um and and so then this movie came out and it just like looked completely dumb and i remember like being aware that like people thought it was dumb and i and i remember not seeing it in movie theater um because it was like you know i don't know how well it did at the box office i imagine it did fine it was a hit
0: it opened at number one
1: so there you go but i didn't see it for some reason which is weird because i i would have seen you know any movie at that point. Um, but then I started working at a video store and maybe a year after it came out and, uh, I just threw it on and I just, I just, it was not what I had expected. I expected, um, a big broad comedy. And of course it is that, you know, but it was, there was something so specific and unique about what he was doing in that movie. And for me, it felt like I was sort of discovering a new kind of comedic sensibility. So I, uh, right before we started Talking, I I I mentioned that I rewatched it again last night, probably for the first time. And I mean, I watched it throughout college. You know, when you come home after a night out and maybe take a bong hit and put on, you know, Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore or any 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 one of the uh, amazing movies that Adam Sandler made for those exact circumstances. But um, but um, I haven't seen it in a while. It's been a long time since I've lived that lifestyle. So um. So it was really interesting to watch it after all this time. It's it's like in many ways it was a little more basic than I thought it was, and in also many ways it was even more groundbreaking and surreal and just absurdist than I thought it was. Um, and to me, just as someone who is really interested in mixing tones and always likes having comedy be a big part of that sort of tonal uh, palette, it, it's 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 actually really really. Um, instructive to sort of forensically analyze Billy Madison, even though, you know, it might not, uh, you know, might not be considered a cinematic masterpiece. In my world, it is one of the more influential things I've ever seen.
0: I hadn't seen it in a while either. I thought, I I thought I must have watched it when the DVD came out last, but I don't think I did. I think I'm confusing it with either Bulletproof or Happy Gilmore. It was probably Bulletproof because that was the Ernest Dickerson one and it looks good. So I would (laughs) have wanted to watch it again in in a new- version um i don't think i'd seen billy madison in 25 years and it was yeah i had the same response i didn't really like it that much at the time it felt (laughs) right well so here's my experience with adam sandler i saw him do stand-up yeah in 92 before saturday night live there was a yuck yucks comedy festival the people's comedy festival it came they held it in toronto they were trying to compete with just for laughs And he was at the end of a bill of maybe six comedians. And it was like, he did a bit that I am not surprised Judd Apatow did not include in funny people. I'll put it that way. Uh, It was called the laughing queer. And it was absolutely the worst possible frat boy thing that you, it's the thing that people think Adam Sandler does all the time. Right. Um, And now I suspect he would not even want to consider like the acknowledging the existence of the thing. But yeah, but right. there was this weird tension in the room because he did it knowing that it was going to offend people and it was fun. Yeah. Like the the, right. the joke wasn't the joke. The joke was that he it was almost Andy Kaufman-like.
1: Well, so okay, so this is very interesting because what, what I found so incredibly because I was trying to get my wife to watch um Billy Madison. And I knew we started watching it together, and I knew if she would make it like five minutes before her phone <laughs> came out. And she, But what was so interesting to me is is, it's in, and and I'm, I'm reminded by what you said is like, he starts it in the most aggressively off-putting. Like he starts with his gibberish shtick. And before you even get like what, what, you know, if I was kind of writing or directing that movie, I'd be like, let's, let's ease into that stuff. And it's like, no, he starts with shampoo versus conditioner. He starts with yelling at Bradley Whitford. He's in gibberish. He starts with all the things that are perhaps the most, absurdist and 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 aggressively off-putting he starts yeah. with the penguin and then you start to have, have like a the, kind of a very heartwarming movie about a guy befriending a bunch of young kids and by the way the kids are so they they are so well cast and they're and, they, and they're beautiful actors um and i think those are some of the, my favorite scenes in the movie but it's like at the beginning it is it's like he wants to push you away or he's like wants to like create a threshold for your you know <laughs> he's like this is who i am. Take it or leave it. I found that really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a movie that is really unconcerned with pleasing an audience, I think, yeah. in a weird way. Like I, I get why it was a hit with kids, um, because it's sort of this offensive but non-threatening version of adulthood. Like he's yeah. children apparently grew up watching this movie relating to Sandler, not the yeah. other kids on screen. Right. That he was the entertainment. Right. And we have that little arc for him where he starts to grow away from his friends, but they're always still around, which I thought was interesting yep. too. Like there's no scene yep. where he breaks away. There's just one yep. scene where it's like, I don't want to do that. That's not right. And yep. he lets the character, yeah, he lets the character be just as repulsive as possible. Yep. Uh which the other thing that really struck me this time that I'd never even considered before is those opening shots of him in the pool. He looks yep. exactly like Mike D from The Beastie Boys.
1: Well, so okay, so here's another interesting. This is like I was obsessed with the Beastie Boys, and that's another reason. Like I, I, I love Sandler's because he sort of for me represents that same like early '90s kind of New York thing. And of course, yes, he does look very much like Mike D. And I, 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 I may be getting this wrong, but I remember reading an interview with Tamara Davis yep. where she talked about how like handsome she thought he was, and he is, by the way, and that's and that he is like actually. Quite like, quite charismatic and and beautiful in the movie when he bothers to be not like in a comedic kind of uh, outfit or whatever. Like he's like he's there's something about him that's like just just kind of transcends. He's so young and he's like and and so I, I, that is a, another interesting thing about sort of the push and pull of the movie. But it also got me sort of thinking about like just this like <laughs> the sort of idiot character that he plays, you know, and how many historically like interesting comedic personas come out of that idiot character, whether it be the jerk or Jacques Tati or like, you know, I think it's like a very, it's like, as I, again, like I just love the sort of weird high, low kind of, and it might just be low, low, but I I find some kind of um, interesting things to glean out of like just an analysis of like the history of movie comedy. Sorry, I totally interrupted you.
0: No, no, but, no, no. Yeah. that's that's all valid because I was going to say that like the the Beastie Boys persona 10 years ago or maybe 8 years ago I guess, right, would have been what this was if they hadn't grown up. And of course, the other thing yes about Tamara Davis is she's married to Mike D. Yes. Like it's actually so, a com- it feels like a commentary that I didn't catch the first time around maybe that this is what he would have been if he hadn't grown up.
1: Well, that's actually okay. So that now you remind me of another thing, which is the the, the Beastie Boys book. You know, have you have you read the book? Yeah. It's so it's, it's such a such a beautiful, awesome book. And yeah, you wonder, I mean, they they are so apologetic about that era in their lives. And this movie, some of the worst stuff in this movie is like when he like grabs Miss Vaughn on the butt. Like there's so much retrograde shit that you could never get away with and it sounds like what he whatever he did that night was when you saw him do stand-up was was that but i think the other thing is like um and probably when you listen to his first album that that great album there's a lot of stuff that just wouldn't fly today but then when you see his um it's like hundred percent fresh is that it have you seen
0: that it's his sure have, no.
1: special. okay so two two things i want to plug for adam sandler okay um his his most recent that uh special i think it's netflix was like a year ago or maybe two years ago and it's amazing and it's like it's this it's the same stuff but just like and this great music but there's a degree of sophistication to it or nuance or insight to it um that really allows you to understand he's just a true comedic master and i think that's the other thing about billy madison is like you know, yeah, I don't like every joke, and but I'll follow him anywhere from the moment I see what he's doing. And I'm like, whatever you want, man, I'm along for the ride, I will follow you anywhere because what you're doing is like gutsy and different and unique. Um, the other Adam Sandler thing is not really Adam Sandler, it is there was a pod, there's another podcast. Sorry to plug a different podcast, it, it happened. It was it was PT Anderson talking to the Sapti brothers, and they were it was it, he was interviewing them for Uncut Gems. And it was, I don't know where it is or how one finds it, um, but it was so fascinating to hear these kind of three uh, titans of cinema, you know, um, talking about how, you know, talking about Adam Sandler and what they love about Adam Sandler. Um, he, there is just something, for people who love Adam Sandler, there is just something transcendent about him. Um, and then when later, let me, I'll, I'll tell you, let's keep talking about the movie, but later I'll sure. tell you about it about this. I'll, I'll remind me to tell you, remind me, we should not end this podcast without my telling you this anecdote about Adam Stone or the personal anecdote.
0: Okay. Um, um, yeah. I was going to say that one of the things that came out of the press at the time is that everyone is comparing it unfavorably to Jim Carrey. Right. Uh, and, and guiding, like sort of framing it as a response to Dumb and Dumber, which I guess maybe if you weren't paying attention, what it like, what it seemed to me is the one Michael's production pipeline of just get yep. the guys on the show the movie deal to elevate the pick the profile of the show and it doesn't matter how good the movies are that was that was the 90s yeah but what it feels like to me is that everybody who's saying that misses a crucial thing which is that jim carrey desperately needs to be loved and adam yep. sandler doesn't and that's yep. like that's what makes billy yep. madison yep. and happy gilmore interesting to me is the rage like the entitlement and the anger that he plays yep. as comedy
1: and that is a lot of what the Safties and P. T. Anderson were talking about, especially as it applied to uncut gems. But when you also think about him in Punch Drunk Club, sure. when he just beats the shit out of those guys in that parking lot, it is, yeah, it's true. He taps into this sort of id. Um, and the anger is it's 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 so enjoyable to watch him get mad. It's just so, so, so funny. Um yeah, totally. Well, it's interesting to talk about it as it applies to those Jim Carrey movies because you're right, those Jim Carrey movies are a little bit like sort of updated kind of Frank Capra kind of things, a lot of them, right? Yeah. And I think Sandler did start to do more of that. with Like like Click is probably a, a basically a Jim Carrey movie. Um, mm-hmm. I did not think as much about Dumb and Dumber. Another movie, which I, I do like Dumb and Dumber quite a lot. Um, I thought a little bit about Wet Hot American Summer though as far as like what... It was what this movie is trying to do comedically that can seem so stupid, but then when you scratch beneath the surface a little bit, it's just groundbreaking. Um, and uh, I, I definitely thought tonally they 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 shared something in common.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a willingness to alienate the audience in a lot of the jokes. I think like the yeah. the, the tumble for you moment on the stairs which I don't, I didn't remember at all. I just, yeah. I, I kind of vaguely remembered a shot of it. I didn't yeah. remember how long it goes and that yeah. he doesn't fall. Cause it feels like that's the setup, right? Like <laughs> he's going to fall down the stairs because oh, he's singing. How about, about
1: the, how about the musical number? I mean, that's just like incredible. And that's another thing i like is that sort of breaking fourth wall kind of almost like French new wave kind of thing that he's doing um, is just, it's so cool. I mean, the, so um, that's one of my favorite parts. Calling Steve Buscemi is, is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie ever.
0: Yeah. I remember that actually, that got a, a massive laugh from the adults in the room at the press screening at there was like yeah. a 500 person public preview screening on a Wednesday night Yeah, and we loved it. And everybody else, like everybody who didn't know who that was, which was yeah. you know, like, believe it or not, was possible in 1995. Yeah. Yeah just like dead weird what's this isn't funny what's going on why is he putting the lipstick on and it just keeps going it's so great
1: wait so tell me about this screening because i want to i want to like put i want to be in this moment okay critics like watching billy madison for the first time (laughs) yeah
0: so in the before times uh it was a it was at a studio studio it was at a theater that doesn't exist anymore called the highland at young and st clair beautiful big room actually had 70 mil capability i saw Die Hard there a bunch of time, Dust But like all the really great films of the 70s and 80s would play there. And then in the mid-90s, it was used for public screenings because it was relatively central. It was on the subway and it was a big space. So usually it was radio contests, you know, the just seated tickets. And it would, they would invite the press to those because that's what happens with a comedy, right? You want to show it to an audience. Uh, you want to show it to the press with an audience. And we laughed at different things, and it was yeah. really. Odd and fun. And and it was, I mean, it was a grind when we weren't into it. But the yeah. jokes that landed for the for the grown-ups were like they we really appreciated those.
1: It's really interesting, just as you know, and I I I've spent the last year directing this Hulu show, mm-hmm. um, which we don't get to test or anything like that. I mean, we show to friends and stuff like that, but we don't we don't get to test. But I'm you know, as someone who started with a couple independent movies and then I think Fifty Fifty was the first movie I did a proper test. Sc- oh no, Mandy Lane, we did do a proper test screening of it, and it was one of the worst testing movies in the history of testing. So I kind of blocked <laughs> that out. So then, um, but with Fifty Fifty, we tested, and then and then, of course, with like Night Before and Snatch and Long Shine, like the studio comedies i have done, you test them aggressively, right? Right. Um, and you edit in a dialogue with the test screenings. Hopefully, you have enough insight. Um, and kind of you know what to dismiss and what so it doesn't become this sort of homogenous thing and, and and I've arguably been able to do that sometimes better than others but I'm just so curious what that movie tested as Be, uh, because like you know like the only other movie I remember with 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 Mandy Lane they, they said the only other movie that tested that value was Pootie Town and uh, so I don't know that this kind of brand of um, absurdist we're I I just don't know how it would have tested, but but um, but it's very very interesting to me. I would love to see like the the cards that people filled out that night in the test screening or
0: whatever. Yeah, um, I mean there were no Adam Sandler movies before Billy Madison. Yeah. like there was nothing right. to compare it to.
1: Yeah, and it was the only one I haven't seen in a, in a theater. I saw Happy Gilmore in a theater. I remember loving it. and Happy Gilmore was a little bit more of a mainstream film. It's a little more toned down than that. I saw The Water Boy <laughs> in a theater. Oh, I remember seeing the wedding singer too. That just crushed people. Yeah. Loved that.
0: Yeah, that's and that was when he
1: did seem a little bit more interested in people liking him. Um, yeah, yeah, and oh, it's, it's great when people aren't interested in people like. I think that maybe that's why I like it so much. It's just it's great when people are like, "This is me." Like, take it or leave it. Um, I think that's what's so wonderful about about Billy Madison. It's so idiosyncratic and and bizarre.
0: And it's fun to watch him because of the conceit of the film. He's changing classes every two weeks. It's fun to yeah. watch him just play against a different variation. Like if there's a, there's that really sweet moment in kindergarten or first grade when one of the little girls falls asleep on him during nap oh, time. Yeah. And it's, it's uncommented on, they never speak of it again. Like it's not, a, it's not even a sign of his character. It's just a sign of his comfort in that space.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that the juxtaposition, I don't think that movie works unless you have the juxtaposition of like the sweetness of the kids, because otherwise it would just be too off putting Mm. to watch for an hour and a half. I mean, those kids are just so, so great and so beautifully cast. And like, you know, the big moment where he puts the water on his pants to make it look like he's peeing his pants is like, that's his big character moment. It's so special and moving and clever and it's great. It's the only time I believe that woman would actually fall for him. Otherwise, it's a little bit. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it is weird and but even then we get her arc of punching him in the face and beating the crap out of him (laughs) afterwards right not before but afterwards to to demonstrate her commitment to him which for the cartoonishness of the setup it actually makes sense yep totally it's all these little reminders like what happens with theo doyles that we are watching a cartoon that this isn't in any way grounded grounded or even you know like instructive in the ways to behave for the young audience watching it. Like, yeah. Don't, right. Right. The whole movie is a don't do this.
1: It's, it's interesting when you think about that whole like group of SNL movies that were coming out around there too. It's like, I, I haven't seen all of them, Tommy mm-hmm. boy or like, but then yeah. they were like, cause I worked in a video store at this point. So it was like, I would see like Steward saves the world, Tommy boy, it's Pat. I mean, they're, they're fucking bad movies, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, Tommy Boy's good. Of course, I,
0: I will fight for I will fight for Coneheads, which is weirdly internally consistent in the family stuff. Okay, and has a great ending, just a beautiful final line that Aykroyd clearly shaped for himself for the entire. What episode. is what is the ending of Coneheads? Oh, um, uh, what else is there for a father to do but give his daughter the world? It's just beautiful. Oh Yeah, and it lands in that in that all that weirdness. It actually lands, and I will also kind of fight for the love. God, no, not the love, God. Um,
1: the love guru, uh, the one, the,
0: the no, Mike no, Harris. never, no, never, no, uh, God, no, the ladies' man.
1: What? What about what about Tamara Davis too? Like she?
0: Well, yeah, like, this is somebody who had like I I saw Gun Crazy. I want to say it played Tiff. I might be yeah. wrong, but I'm pretty sure it played Midnight Madness. Movie. Yeah, and then her energy goes into this stuff, and it was a weird transition. But she kind of has her hand on the teller. Like there is the absence of style in this film is a style.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there is, you know, she moves the camera and she's there's, there's 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 some, you know, she she's not it's not completely anonymous. They, they, she moves the camera. And also, I think just like the tone that she establishes is that's her POV. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. that's the, the main kind of and and I think, you know. Nailing jokes. I think casting Bradley Whitford is pretty inspired.
0: Yeah. I um, was saving up Whitford. Cause I really want to get into that. That is okay, a cool. magnificently villainous performance, but so with, yeah. good.
1: And like, yeah. And then, and then she goes on to do CB4, which is another movie I really, really liked. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think, I, I think she's pretty great. Um, what, what did she do after that? Did she like stop?
0: She's done a lot of television in the last um 20 years. Uh, yeah. Her last feature, I think, was uh, Crossroads, the um, the Britney Spears film.
1: Crossroads, the Britney Spears film. Yeah. We went to see that. Anson Mount, who was in my first movie, they were doing like a, we, we were shooting in Austin and they were doing like a, you know, like a mystery science theater thing where they would show a movie and then they would, the three guys would make fun of it. Yeah. While were, and so we snuck in because Anson Mount is in, is the main love interest in Crossroads. Um, that. And he... And he kind of played along with them, but, but that's great. So that's so, 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 so good. And and Brittany is now free, which is also wonderful. That
0: is nice. I'm really, I, there is, I mean, I'm sure they're happening now there are an entire theses and podcasts and documentaries to be made about just the, the sheer ugliness of the way that one human beings career and persona have been handled. And I'm probably as guilty of it as anybody else. Although I do remember thinking she wasn't that bad in Crossroads, but just the the shit that's rained down on this poor kid. Yeah, he's not a kid anymore, sad. right? Like he's a full adult now, still being treated as a as a punchline.
1: It's very sad, but the inspiring thing is that that act, the whole reason this has happened, is because of that movie or that New York Times documentary thing. And it's like, yeah, that kind of she, it, it's great. So that's that's good. The power of. Cinema, streaming, the power of something.
0: Yeah. And journalism. Oh. Let's say journalism. I have to. I'm obliged to say journalism. The power of journalism. No, you're right. It's it's pop. It's it's like a, popular opinion. and, and uh, a streaming thing, yeah.
1: yeah no, I it know. was journalism, right? New York
0: Times? It's, it's a form of it. <laughs> but that's just my snobbishness. But yeah, no, Davis has been, she's been doing some, some odd, interesting shows. Uh, I know she, I saw her name on uh, Santa Clarita Diet a couple of times. And that's yeah, right. here it is. She did three episodes of You're the Worst two episodes of Future Man, uh, an episode of Miracle he Workers. Did. Yeah. I got to ask, I because I I know both Stephen and
1: Kyle and Ariel, who did Future Man. I'm so curious to to learn more about Tamara Davis. I wish I came to this armed with more information about her.
0: That's fine. We're discovering it together.
1: I did see Mike D in Malibu once, and I, I went up to him and told him how much his music meant to me. And uh, he was a little, a little, I'd say he held me at arm's length.
0: yeah it's gotta be i have i have met a handful of people who've legitimately changed culture yeah and there's always that it happens to them 25 times an hour right like that exhaustion and you just want to be respectful and and tell them what they mean you still want to tell them what they mean to you personally right like you can't not
1: yeah but you don't you don't own them like i mean i do remember i i i I was able to hang out with gout several times before oh, he passed away and, uh, because he was a, such a patron of, of, of movies. Sure. Um, and he went to see the Wackness and, and, and came to the party after and I talked to him and I was just, you know, completely blown away by what a just wonderful human being he was just radiating this amazing energy. And I got to see him a few times. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just loved him. Um, so Anyway, we're talking a lot about the Beastie Boys, but I mean, why not?
0: They're echoing through this in a way that I find really fascinating. <laughs> and, and this lets us get to the Bradley Whitford part, which is yeah. that he is the guy who would have been opposed. Like this, it, I mean, basically, this is a, a snobs versus slobs kind of movie, yeah. except that they're all slobs, um, yeah. except for Whitford, who is so clearly aware That he is not here to make friends, like to to, to reduce it to the most basic level. He is here to be sneered at and be as much of a foil and as obnoxious as possible. And yet the fact that he still finds a way to humanize the character just in tiny bits, like the the nature of the things that he gets mad at, the constant dissatisfaction, the fact that he chokes in one point and they keep it in. I mean, obviously, it's it's acting, well, but I
1: think that's another thing that's like really cool about the movie, and and what's cool about movies in general is like the specificity of it. Like he's he's doing these, yeah. Everything you're talking about is just like a weird kind of idiosyncratic flourish, but like that's what life is. Like the the the, the cumulative effect of that is you're, is is your build, building a character, and I think I think that character and that performance is probably like technically the best performance in in the thing, like. To be able to do that, his type of acting, and to be able to like kind of fit in, um, in this kind of ensemble with, with everyone who's doing big, big stuff, yeah, um, is just great. It's just great. I mean, Norm MacDonald, of course, is is, is hard to overlook. As sure. uh,
0: <laughs> is he Canadian? Uh, he is Canadian, I think he's not from Vancouver. Be Canadian. How can Norm not be Canadian? Yeah, but also just the way that. I think he's giving a performance in this movie, and he doesn't in most of his films. Like most of his movie work is based on his basic persona. But there Norm are, of-
1: yeah, it's Minor McDonalds. Anytime you see him, he's he exists to be a meta commentary in the thing that he is doing. Sure, which is interesting, and I think Adam Sandler to a certain extent does that as well. Um, there's, there's, yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, that's that's true. I mean, even here, it's the joke is that no one can be this person right like this this has to be an act yes and then yes. finding out that this is in fact who he is um i think right away with the that early yeah because we do get through 10 minutes of gibberish and uh borderline unpleasant voice and just yeah. general buffoonery yeah. uh before we get to the that first great joke about billy which is that he cannot believe that he didn't pass with flying colors yeah, yeah, and great. you think no this has to be a this is the guy putting up a front and then you get that that amazing joke about how he couldn't spell rock and when it's spelled to him his response is to go oh the sea is silent Is such <laughs> a weird like i laughed at that then and i laugh at it, now it enough,
1: you can't really have one without the other because the, the reason this, this, that joke works is like it's almost musical it's like the timbre of his voice it's like mm. the and, and, and that's what, like, I guess I was the, the one thing I just did not find nearly as funny as I did when I was young was all the gibber stuff. Like, I just didn't, like, I remember, I, I could remember everything he was going to say, like, I, teased, I could remember every little thing. yeah And I just was like, ah, this isn't working for me anymore. Maybe I'm too old. Um, but shit like that, I loved.
0: Yeah. And, and watching the other actors have their moments like Larry Hankins, quiet, constant decency, in every scene, he's also just a little bit cartoonish just because it's Larry Hankin and he looks like a he looks like a stork that's wearing a person suit. But in his first scene with Whitford, where they're just sort of quietly discussing how hungry one of them is and the Triscuit cracker, like the language yeah, is there, yeah. right? It is calculated language. The Triscuit cracker keeps coming back rather than just Triscuits or just crackers. Like they hit on, this is funnier. We don't know why, but yep. the rhythms of it are funnier. And so we're just going to keep saying it. And that also tells you this movie... Like, it's not going to be entirely stupid. It's got something underneath going on. It is it is so
1: interesting to me just also to think about just where it fits in the kind of chronology of American studio comedy because mm-hmm. it was a bit, like, you might think of it as a bit of a fallow period, right? Like, like Wayne's World was obviously what set up Lauren Michaels to be able to do all these movies, right? Yeah. And that was just a huge, massive success. And a very good distillation of like a a narrative story and that makes the characters like well and expands the world and much more successful in as a commercial piece of pop machinery than this movie, I would say. Yeah, I I like this movie a lot more. Um, But I mean, it was like, it's just sort of, it was like post kind of the Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd stuff and pre the Judd stuff. And it's like, it's just interesting to me where it kind of the comedic calibration fits in there. Um because of course I I do you do see a light, like, it is almost an apatow esque setup when he once he gets to the school, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it's just really interesting for me to me to, to think about that. Um
0: yeah, well, and it's also just a character comedy at a time when most comedy was hybridized. It was all like Beverly Hills Cop sequels. Everything was yeah, action right. comedy was the big deal, and and
1: I guess Jim Carrey must have been big then too. He
0: was coming up, yeah, because ninety five was um, ninety five was no ninety four was Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber, I think. Yeah, Cable Guy was ninety six. I want to say.
1: And then and then you know there's something about Mary and stuff like that, but those all like started. That, that's when they started to need to be kind of sweet. Mm. Whereas I feel like in, in, in this era, like the sweetness is just sort of like a box that's checked. Like, I feel like later the sweetness was to, to, to sort of balance out the tartness of the, of the comedy, of the comedic personas. Um, I just, I just find it really, really interesting. And then I think about the beginning of funny people where you have, where he has that amazing footage of, of real young Sandler making those prank calls and how just like, it's just you, but you're buzzing just looking at this the origin story of this like comedic superhero. It's just it's 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 fascinating,
0: yeah. No, Sandler captures that moment of like I think he is the missing link, maybe not the missing link between BC Boys, Jerky Boys, or uh, yeah. Jerky Boys, BC Boys. I'm not sure how that evolved, but that attitude, yeah. And Sandler was the one who somehow managed to continue it for a decade, yeah, until Punch Drunk Love, yeah, and then. That demonstrated that, I mean, you know, the, the the critical take on Sandler is when he changes his clothes, when he's not wearing cargo pants, that's going to be a real performance. That's how you know. Right. But what really strikes me about Billy Madison is that it's the same thing. Like, it's not that he got lazy. It's that this is his mode and this is what he likes to do. And yeah. I think I have to admit, like, he's the best at it that there is.
1: Yeah. And I think it's maybe that's what's also so interesting to me is as someone who loves music, there's something very like punk rock about all of it, you know, and and that's not even to say it's like good. It's just like so aggressively what it is. And and when you talked about the Jerky Boys, I, I started thinking about that, too. I don't know how well this stuff holds up in 2021, but there was something about being an adolescent and connecting to it where it's just like this kind of fuck the world mentality. And it even applies to like the the form of of, of the movie. Like the movie will take a, have a three minute musical moment for no reason other than that it thinks it's kind of funny, you yeah. know. And I just something about that I think I just find so cool.
0: Yeah, it ends with a giant Jeopardy game because why not? Right, why not? Like, like that's basically it. It is. There are moments in in Sandler's filmography, and I'm going to get pilloried for saying this. They're almost dataist. In the, yeah. Like the, the water oh, boy, man. for example, has moments that shouldn't exist. Yeah, Like they don't, they defy the form of the film. They defy the, the genre of comedy, yeah. uh, all the stuff Kathy Bates does. And yet she is having so much fun doing it yeah. that it doesn't matter. Like it, it's communicated to the audience that it's okay.
1: And I think there's something like, it's just inherently smart about that. You're, you're, you're subconsciously asking the audience to contemplate formal elements of what you're showing them. Which in a dumb comedy is is like I, I think at least has some sort of uh, uh, intellectual interest to me. Um, you know, yeah. as much so as the as much so as as any of the jokes that land. I think there's something really cool about that. But he sort of did that less and less. I don't know. I didn't see. I don't. I I didn't see Mr. D's. I didn't see Zohan. Like, what are your favorite latter day? sort of comedy Sandler and Sandler comedies.
0: I I got to say, I really like Zohan. It is, yeah. it's inane, but it's inane in a very, very smart way. And it's one of the only times Sandler interacts with his Jewishness, right. which, you know, to me is something absolutely fascinating that when someone is speaking Hebrew in the background, it's like, Oh, I kind of understand that. It's like, it's the thing. Right. I don't know if I have no idea who knows this, um, but Sacha Baron Cohen, yeah. when Borat is speaking, his language is speaking Hebrew. So he's actually improvising in another language. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know I I I've like nine years of Hebrew school and I just conversant enough to not understand it. Wow. And he's responding, like the subtitles are accurate. He is saying what he's saying. It's not a trick in the film, but he is- But it's not Kazakh. It's not- No, exactly. He's shifting gears and he does it, I think once or twice in The Dictator, but they tried to keep that down because they made up a language for them. Yeah. Um, But when he does it, it's this moment of oh you're falling back on a thing you're comfortable with you can think on your feet you're doing it but you're also like anybody who n- understands Hebrew or even Arabic because they're fairly close yeah. will notice this and Borat it I think it subconsciously undercuts the anti-Semitism in Borat by having us not igno- having <laughs> him acknowledge <laughs> right. that he's in on it but right. when Sandler interacts with it in Zohan it's this really interesting secular Judaism that's
1: yeah.
0: that's operating and you also get this great rivalry with John Turturro. Like it's, it's an underestimated dumb movie in the same way because it is really smart about its story while also being just the, the, the broadest and silliest of, of comedies.
1: Well, and it's, it's Robert Smigel, right. Who is triumph and who is like, you know, Yeah,
0: and who uh, shows up in, he shows up in a tiny role in, in Billy Billy
1: Madison. Yes. He's the teacher of yes.
0: And I was amazed that I had totally forgotten that, um, Jim Downey's in it is the principal. Uh this this, yes. this a legend, right? This I don't right. think I'd ever thought about it. Yeah, no, so Zohan, double checking, was written by Sandler, Smigel, and Apatow. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's under two hours long. It's amazing. Um it's <laughs>
1: well, just under. But I think still. when you balance, I think when you balance Sandler's average running time of 80 minutes with <laughs> Avatar's average running time, you'll get to two hours.
0: That's fair. But yeah, but it's it's a weirdly like. I think it's the one film that was immediately dismissed as dumb. And then people who saw it had to sort of reckon with the fact that it's actually really, really clever about what it does. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm
1: going to watch that. So maybe. if you if we're recommending one movie later day, Adam Sandler movie, it's, it's Zohan.
0: If it's a Sandler comedy. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, obviously yeah. going to steer people towards, obviously uh,
1: towards I'm the thinking.
0: good stuff, yeah, right. but um, yeah, I mean, what else? No, would we're not be-
1: here to talk about like good stuff, right? <laughs>
0: Not the the quote unquote good stuff, but latter day, I guess. Yeah. Big daddy doesn't really count. That's 20 years old. Um, I'm fond of his, his softness in that. And the fact that he's willing to do it. Yeah. Uh, And I would also suggest that people see the cobbler because there is nothing else like it. Uh, It is not good at all, uh, but it was directed and written by Tom McCarthy and it is an attempt at creating a mythology and it's sort of a comic book movie, but it's not. And it's just, it's incredibly weird and sandler
1: i would love to see that that because because um i yeah i I just i think tom McCarthy's great and it's always very interesting to me because he the next thing he made was spotlight right yeah same year and uh it's just very very interesting to me to see how i think there's i think probably greatness and failure are like two sides of the same coin because you have to just go all out and it sounds like that's what's sort of in that movie is like you have to take big swings to be great and you also when you take big swings can can fail I mean and and I don't know I haven't seen Spanglish um although I I feel like it doesn't look great
0: yeah Uh, it's like if if you're pointing to movies about privilege that don't know they're about privilege that's the one like that's the one where I think Brooks as as well-intentioned as he is and as yeah. gifted as he is as a filmmaker just didn't see it and yeah. just pressed on and when you see it now it's just when you see it I saw it at the time and it was just like oh this is uncomfortable and now you yeah, can yeah. articulate it now we have the language to discuss right
1: why. right and then and then i think the last dramatic role is men women and children which i also did not see but i love chase
0: mm. priman oh there's the bomb back the myrowitz stories he's great in that
1: oh he's great yeah he's yeah, great
0: that was more recent i think that yeah, that was like 2017. He's just great.
1: So okay, let me tell you the story. Yes. It's not really, it's, it's not really a good story. It's no, just but you teased it. You have to dropping. tell It's just name dropping. So, so, uh, so, forgive me. Uh, but, but I was, it was one of the greatest moments of my life because I love Adam Sandler. Um, and so, well, I got, I got a, I got a, I got a text one night. That's like and I've never met Adam Sandler in my life. One night it's like 11 p.m. and I got a text. Hey, buddy, it's Sandler. Give me a call. And I, I, you know, um. I was like, he must've gotten my number from Seth Rogan, who I, I've worked with many times. So I call him, he's like, hey, buddy. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, like, he's like, you know, I've been watching you. He just complimented me, which was fucking amazing. And this was 11 o'clock at night. And I, I, I just, I was in bed. I had to get out of bed. I went, came downstairs and we ended up talking about a movie for like a very long time. And, 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 and ultimately it didn't work out, but it was so interesting to me because, um, there is, I do think, like uh, I, the comedies do get a little unfairly maligned as like lazy, you know. Um, and what he was talking to me about was a project, but it was like there was nothing late. First of all, he's calling me at eleven o'clock at night, which is like he's he's to be as successful as he is and still be grinding and like getting on the phone to me at eleven o'clock at night. And then it was like the way in which he talked about this project and the rigor with which he was thinking about it. Um, it was like, I was kind of blown away. And I, and I know this, um, from just running in similar circles, to him and hearing about how, um, relentless he is in his pursuit of, of greatness. And it really, um, it was just really cool. First of all, it was cool that he had seen anything I'd done and liked it. But second of all, it was just cool to like talk to him. He was so down to earth and, 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 and just blew me away. So hopefully I'll get to do something with him, um, at some point. Uh, and, and, uh, And he'll he will never hear that I don't like Billy Madison as much now as I used to. But that's okay. We all grow up, right? Isn't that one of the themes of Billy Madison? Um,
0: Yeah, could you could make the case? Sure,
1: whatever. It's yeah.
0: Um, Like his his status in the culture is really fascinating because he doesn't famously doesn't do press. Shies away from anything other than television, like long form interviews that he can either control or that are sort of guaranteed to the promotional thing that he needs them to be yeah and i don't think that's calculated i think it's just he doesn't like doing television interviews with people who asking the same three questions over and over yeah. again and having the career he's had i don't blame him yeah but apparently when he was here shooting pixels a few years ago yeah. he would just show up at the jcc and play basketball
1: play basketball yeah, he loves and
0: basketball. or sometimes with a kid sometimes without but like he would just do that and yeah you have to be incredibly comfortable with yourself to be able to do that at his level of celebrity, I think.
1: And, 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 and just to, just to sort of piggyback, uh, just to, cause, cause I think he also gets, and look, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to arbitrate the quality of, of grown ups or, or, you know, uh, some of these movies I, ha- I haven't seen most of them, but like for working with his friends, I think he gets a lot of shit for it. And it's like, I gotta tell you, man, working with your friends is pretty great. Like you can do great stuff when you work with your friends, you can, you can, um, you know, having a shorthand with someone as as a as a filmmaker is like unparalleled as far as how to get results. Um, and sometimes you get it, you know, sometimes you get it when you randomly meet someone um, like I, I got it with Melissa McCarthy, and Nicole Kidman on the show, you know, but I don't I didn't know I was going to have it, you know. Um, and then sometimes you don't. But when you when when you're able to work with someone over and over again and give your friends and help each other out, I think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the disappointment critically is that he keeps working with his friends in projects that don't pan out. Like the they stuff that that stuff that is familiar because I've seen them all, yeah. and they're yeah. exhausting. Like at a certain yeah, yeah. point, it's it's like there there are some filmmakers who were so coddled and protected uh, by producers or by the industry at a certain point in their careers that they calcified, and they right. they can only do what they used to do, and there's no right. evolution, and it's really frustrating. And I know Sandler, because he keeps wandering off and doing tremendous drama. Yeah, right. I know he can do more. And so that's what's frustrating. It's like, yeah, it's nice to get a lake house with with your buddies, especially if your buddies are Chris Rock and, and David Spade and Kevin James Lee. They're funny people. I would like to see them play around together, but I would also yeah. like to see them maybe shaped. Maybe it's just yeah. the choice of director because he also relies on a lot of the same people for that. He
1: works with a lot of the same people. I, I, you know, and who? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. It, it, could, it could perhaps be that he's not being pushed out of his comfort zone uh, by a filmmaker. Um, that's really it's it's that's really interesting. I mean, yeah, he's worked with who who's directed the most of these. But but then again, the guy who directed Wedding Singer, he, he directed Wedding Singer. And he's worked yeah. with them a lot more times. I mean, they've never been as good as Wedding Singer. Um, but yeah, man, it's interesting. He's a he's a he's a titan among He's a, you know, every, every person I know in comedy just kind of worships him. And mm-hmm. it's not the same with Jim Carrey. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like, I mean, I think people find Jim Carrey funny, but there's something about Sandler that's like, just so special. I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I, I keep going back to the movies because I hope the next one will be as good as it could be. Like, that's the comedies for me are still open for possible potential. Like, I hope to laugh again, as much as I did at, at Zohan or, you know what? I like Mr. Deeds because it is, again, it is just Adam Sandler fucking around with his buddies in a remake of a Capra movie, but it also has maybe John Turturro's most eccentric performance um, as, as his Butler, who is just there to bust every scene with whatever it is he's doing. And it's got a, a kind of a delicate, weird inversion of the Capra love story stuff. With Winona right. Ryder and just and you know, what
1: about like, Little Nikki? What's your what's your take on Little Nikki?
0: Oh yeah, that one hurts. Uh, it's just
1: <laughs> talk about a movie that's off-putting. Like that one is yeah, that movie yeah. does not need to be liked.
0: Like that um, sound mix was trying to harm me in some weird personal <laughs> way. Everything about it was off-putting. Uh, although Harvey Keitel is giving a genuinely sweet performance as the devil, and it doesn't belong in that movie, but that's why right. it works.
1: Right. So we're recommending to people, I, I'm recommending that you see this, this, uh, this hundred percent fresh
0: thing. Yeah. I'm, um, I, I missed it completely. Really
1: good. It it's really, really, really
0: good. Um, I mean, what would you, okay. I, I don't want to ask about the project you guys were working on. Cause obviously that didn't happen, but what would you want him to do? What would, as a director, or like, where would you put him? What would you want him to play?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, there's just such a, well, I think it's like, what's so nice is it's, I mean, the punch drunk love version, if that's like that man child, but just the depth of the soul. I mean, that's the other thing that like the soul of these performances is like, so remarkable. Like there's just, they're just imbued with soul. And so I think that it is nice to, 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 to do things. Like and he can be emotional. Like what's great about him is like, he can be emotional, when he's yelling, and he can be emotional, when he's not. He can be emotional, when he's quiet. He can be, he's, there's so much he can reveal with so little, and yet he can also go go big. I mean, I, I you know, I loved Uncut Gems so much. Um, I loved Good Time as well. Uh, they, just the, what they were able to get out of both Pattinson and Sandler was just kind of blew me away. Um, so, yeah, man, just like a very, just to, to see him play like a very specific, unique person is like, you know, Uh, I think it would be great. And it's like, I just love also kind of trying to work with funny people and let them be dramatic. You know, I love um, when I'm working with Seth, I love the scenes I have the most fun with are the ones where he's emotional and heartfelt and like sad, you know? Um, And again, he's like another person who's just so soulful. Um, And Melissa in the show I just did and and Bobby Cannavale um, in Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm just going to try to plug it. Nine Perfect Strangers on uh, Hulu. Or what? I don't know. Is it on Hulu there? What's it it's going to be
0: It's uh, Hulu in the States, Amazon Prime Canada.
1: Amazon Prime Canada coming out uh, in a couple of days. Not the reason I'm I'm doing this talk. Not the reason I'm talking. Uh, no, we've been Norm, trying but, to set uh, this
0: up for years, but you keep going off and making things. That's right. Uh, but yeah, and actually I'll bring up one more person who can do all of these things and more is Shannon. Uh, Michael Shannon, yeah. who, who you have cast in Nine Perfect Strangers as a suburban dad, which yes. is... A great call. I mean, it's like the the thing that I said. I, I I teased it on Twitter that he he's pretending to play a normal person, but I left it <laughs> ambiguous uh, because yeah. that's the greatest strength of of someone like that. And I, I think of him when I think of somebody who's shown up in comedies constantly, but people don't think of him as a comic actor. But the-
1: it's it, he's like he's first of all just on one on one like kind of, or in a text conversation. He's one of the funniest people I, I've ever met. Nice. Um, and he's. Yeah. I mean, in the night before, it was a total revelation and we had no idea. Like we just thought in the night before that if he could just do what he does in a drama and and we wrote funny lines for him that were just funny because of his intensity, that that would work, you know, and and figure whether he was funny or not, that he would kind of understand that conceptually. Lots of people have done that type of role. But then sure. he would riff and like just, you know, then you're just like, whoa, he's really funny. And then in this, it's like you know it, it uh, it's so, this the character he's playing in nine Strangers is so different from 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 who he is um, and so i i think in in by that notion it is like the most impressive performance i've ever seen to just see someone to be, be so and look he's a he's a beautiful heartfelt uh, person and he, and and, and, he, and he's a great father and he's a, a you know and 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 he's but personality-wise, he's nothing like this guy. So to watch him just completely change his personality and do it in a way that's nerdy and funny and still like manages to to convey emotion is to me, honestly, the single greatest performance I've ever been able to to witness um, in in something I've done. Um, And he just blew me away. And it's like, and he and it's the other thing about it is like he loves to have fun. Like he does two musical numbers, I think, in the show. So far, yeah, for six so episodes. <laughs> just through six. We end with a giant, yeah, like Billy Madison-esque uh, uh, at, at a circus. And he, No, we don't. Um, but he, um, yeah, I just, he's he's really, really amazing. And I think it's, it's most actors I think are funny. You know, I think I, m- most actors are funny. I think most people who uh, are creatively, um, artistically kind of inclined are, are funny too. And so uh, to be, and and not all actors get to show how funny they are. So to have uh, him being so funny and, be, and being able to capitalize on that, it, 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 and also his dramatic chops, is 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 so great. And Seth, I mean, I just can't wait to. Uh, he's in the new Spielberg movie. I don't know what he's doing in it, but I mean,
0: the one about his childhood.
1: Yeah, he plays ah. it's like he plays Spielberg. He plays like a big role in it. I um, didn't know that. So you know, obviously he's. Uh, I think there's something about like the naturalism that 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 comedians bring to uh roles where cuz they're 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 so kind of sharp and 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 so like in the moment because they're such great improvisers that there's something about like just you know the, and 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 also like I think a great comedic actor learns very quickly how to underplay a joke so you're always very much aware of where you are on the continuum of like y- y- Delivery, which I think just from a technical perspective, they have a technical mastery that I think is, is is allows them to be even better dramatically a lot of the time.
0: My pet theory is that the insecurity that drives someone to become a comedian. Yeah, you can't not hide that. Like it comes through and on the camera. So you're perfect for a drama.
1: I think that's probably true. There's a wellspring of emptiness and sadness at the heart of a lot of people. And it's like that really adds a depth to most of these performances. And I think you know, I don't know. I, I Sandler seems like a happy guy. Certainly, Melissa and Seth do as well. But I think that um, they're certainly all just very driven to be great. Um, that's like a common thread. Um, and I think that must come from an emptiness inside all of us, right? Why else would we try so hard?
0: <laughs> I assume. I mean, and that's the other thing about Billy Madison, right? It's nobody really had to make an effort to make this movie. They just had to shout, but there is stuff going on. And so I think that's why what works about it still works.
1: It is very ambitious, like deceptively ambitious. And I think that's another reason to praise it.
0: My thanks to Jonathan Levine, whose new miniseries Nine Perfect Strangers premieres tomorrow on Hulu in the US and Friday on Amazon Prime Video Canada. And if you haven't caught up to Longshot yet, that is an absolute gem of a romantic comedy. Go watch it. You can find Jonathan on Twitter at Jonathan A. Levine, all one word. And you can find Billy Madison on pretty much all VOD platforms. It's also streaming in Canada on Crave with a Star subscription or on Amazon Prime Video Stars channel. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing a weekly Now streaming newsletter. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast. S E M cast and on the web at someone else's movie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the frequency podcast network. While you're there, watch movies, stay safe, wear a mask. If you go out, get your shot. If you can, I'll see you next time.